Howdy, everybody, and welcome to another BP Movie Journal. I'm David Bax. I'm Tyler Smith. Oh, last names. We're doing last names. We're going more formal this yeah, week. Yeah, we, we really have not codified the opening to the movie journal, but I'm okay with that. That's, it's a different thing. Loosey-goosey. Loosey-goosey, but what we don't do on the movie journal is bullshit for half an hour. We get right into it. Well, you could say the movie <laughs> journal itself is bullshit for a half hour, except they're never that short. Um, <laughs> Uh, uh, all before, right. before we jump into it, though, um, I yes, we, this is uh, yeah. we're making an exception for a sponsor because we like him so much. Absolutely, and also I forgot to read this on the last episode. Um, <clears throat> all right, so we normally don't do ads on the movie journal, right? But this Though one is we worth still it. could. Okay, well, <laughs> we'll have to talk about that up in the future. Uh, yeah, um, special rates higher. Uh, all right, so this. BP Movie Journal is brought to you by The Scully. That's S-C-U-L-L-Y. The Scully is a new documentary currently funding on Kickstarter. From Mike Celestino, the writer-director of the acclaimed comedy documentary That's Not Funny, which is a film that I really love, The Scully will be a feature-length analysis of the history of skepticism in popular culture. How has mass media influenced our view and concept of what skepticism is and how it functions and how our perception of real life skeptics influenced the depiction of skepticism in fiction? Which characters from throughout the history of storytelling fit the skeptic archetype and what roles do they play in their respective tales? Just who exactly is the Scully? (laughs) Uh, Find out by supporting the documentary The Scully on Kickstarter. Just click on the link at BattleshipPretension.com. And, uh, yeah, Mike Celestino, he made a film that I really love and I think everybody should see it's available on YouTube. Um, and, uh, he's, he's a good filmmaker. And so, uh, please do go and, uh, support that film. All right. That's it. Let's, uh, let's talk about the movies we saw. Should I start? Sure. I saw a movie that I've been meaning to get around to for a long time and I'll kick myself not seeing it earlier because okay. it's a fantastic movie. You've probably heard of it. I don't think you have seen it, but I don't know. I don't know everything you see. Okay. I don't know your life. All right. Uh, it's a film from 1969. It's called Z. Oh, yeah. Directed Costa, by uh, Costas, yeah. Costa Gavras, I think. I don't even remember. Um, have you seen it? No. It is so I've heard, good. I've heard it's great. It's fantastic. It's... Uh, yeah, you know, and now now I'm forgetting what uh, there's a there was a more recent movie that I was comparing it to. Uh, no, no, not a recent movie. You and I were talking just last week about Do the Right Thing, mm-hmm. and Z in many ways is a very different movie. <coughs> it's I don't know if you know the story. It's, I don't actually. It takes place in an unnamed European country, um, living under a sort of increasingly, you know, fascist or totalitarian uh, rule in which an opposition party leader mm-hmm. uh after it after a demonstration is assassinated okay um I mean, he's beaten like a basically a truck drives by and the per- assassin leans out with like a, a club a blunt object hits him in the head he dies in the hospital like uh, two days later mm-hmm. um and it's based on a thing that actually happened i guess in greece um about in like this is movies from 1969 i think that this happened in, like 64 uh, a similar thing happened and so it Essentially, it, I mean, it takes a while to lead up to the assassination, laying out all the different groups of people. You, you know, the the opposition, the military, the government, the police, the protesters, the anti-protesters who were actually hired by the, hmm. the 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 party in power to those damn Pinkertons. They show up everywhere, <laughs> don't they? Yeah, um, and so it lays that out, and the thing happens, and it turns into. I mean, it has, like, what you would essentially call action sequences. It's essentially like car chases mm-hmm. uh, 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 in, the, in the moment. And then it turns into, like, a police procedural where this um, this investigator, who you know, comes to the case very sort of um, buying the party line, which is that this was a drunk driver who broke through the security lines at the demonstration who did this. And um, all these stories, everyone has alibis. Mm-hmm. And, of course, they have alibis because this was all planned and were set into place. And, yeah. all these and he comes sort of buying the story. And over the course of the movie, which is about two hours and 50 minutes long, he comes to to see things the other way around. I don't want to. Uh, did this film win the Oscar that year for foreign film? Um, I, don't, I, I think it did. I, I think, think it, it was. Too. I think it was one of the few films to ever 
be nominated for best foreign film and best film, best picture oh, okay. in the same year. I think that's uh, that's one of its claims to fame. Um, it's but to go back to do the right thing. We talked last week about how do the right thing is like such a passionate and angering movie. Yeah. And this is too, but both of them for most of the runtime have a real sense of fun mm-hmm. or of at least excitement. And there's, there's a thrill to them, even though Z isn't the born identity or anything. Yeah. Uh, it's, <clears throat> it's, it's sort of like, uh, it, it is like a thriller in, in, in that way. You know, I think, uh, like, uh, a separation is a movie that I've talked oh, yeah. about before that feels like a thriller even when nothing's happening. Yeah. When nothing, you know, uh, outwardly like cinematic seems to be happening. Uh, that's what Z is. I don't want to talk about it too much. I don't want to talk about the end, um, which is, uh, <laughs> I guess we have to talk about it to talk about it. So I just want to talk about it. Fair enough. Uh, it's fantastic. So people should, should definitely check out Z. All right. Um, so I have been uh, sick uh, for the last week and a half, uh, this cold is just hanging on and it's really bothering me. So I apologize if I'm coughing periodically. Uh, and I have been super uh, stir crazy. And I believe it was Sunday or Monday. I don't remember exactly. But I just I started to feel a little bit better. And so I was like, OK, I'm going to I'm going to go see a movie. I don't even really care what. And when you want to go see a movie and you don't care what, lo and behold, you'll wind up in The Gunman. Um, so you saw it. I did see it. Yeah. There's a lot of good in there. There's a, there's a lot of, uh, good. What are you, what are you referring to? Uh, performances specifically. I think, uh, Javier Bardem is really good. Um, I like what Sean Penn is doing. Of course, it's always nice to see Ray Winstone though. I don't think he's, I think he and Idris Elba are, are not used remarkably well. I think his name is Mark uh, Rylance or like something him. like that. Yeah. I like him a lot. Yeah. Um, and I think what uh, one of the other things that I like is just how simple the thriller is. Like, it seems complex, but it really isn't. It's just somebody pa- somebody's past is catching up to him and just, you know, maybe the political climate has changed and suddenly what he did is not a, seen as a good thing. And so um, I like that, and I think some of the action sequences are really good. I think some of the suspense sequences are pretty good and uh i don't think it didn't work for me on this level that it's working for you well i didn't like it that much I, um but I like when it finally gets some serious hand-to-hand combat yes at the end maybe yeah that was that was cool yeah i like that um i like the thing with the bomb in his apartment um that felt like to two movies in a row to bring up jason Bourne. that felt like a Bourne type thing that i thought was really cool yeah yeah and so i think whenever as you know um it's a one of my uh, one of my sweet spots is uh, in a film when there's somebody who is very good at what they do, and they do it with confidence. But there's also a genuine, um, but there's a real humanity there. And so I felt like the character is, um, he felt like a real person to me. He didn't feel like Superman or anything like that. Oh, real in that way, yeah. But I, I guess my part of my problem was that. The time jump, there's like the opening, I guess you would essentially call it a prologue. It's an extended sequence, but it's sort of a prologue. Yeah. And then then it jumps eight years, I think. And I feel like (coughs) there's some things that are implied about the character's changes over those eight years that I don't feel like Sean Penn is playing. I feel like he's just assuming the movie will let us feel that... Okay, he's back in the same country for different reasons. He's a changed person now. But I didn't feel like he was playing a changed person. He yeah, just no, letting it, his circumstances do the talking for the character. And I, yeah, that felt a little, I guess there was a, dis, a cognitive dissonance there. And there's a way to, there's a way to let the circumstances kind of dictate or, or recontextualize your character if you're giving a very specific kind of performance, which he's not. And uh, yeah, I agree. It feels, he feels like the same guy and he feels like a guy who's ultimately decent um, whereas, you know, that yeah. first sequence, um, what they're doing is a bad thing, but at no yeah. point does, does it feel like a bad thing in that moment, partially because it happened so quick. That it's like, okay, I, am I on board with this? I don't actually know. Um, yeah. So I think tonally there's some, there's some problems, but, uh, I think I liked the, it, it felt kind of down to earth at times. It didn't feel like, uh, again, he didn't feel like a superhuman or anything like that um 
and they and you know there's a scene uh, it's always fun from a writer standpoint uh when you watch these scenes like he goes to see a doctor about like what some stuff that's going on with his uh with his head and he yeah. gets these headaches and stuff and it's it's you know what they talk about is like wow that sounds it, it, well it's essentially it, cte if you follow like sports and concussions uh, and right stuff. yes it's yes chronic traumatic encephalo- encephalopathy yeah Ugh, that's a long word you should see the documentary head games Okay. It's directed by Steve James. Yes. Um, okay. Who's a well-known documentarian, and yet this one seems to have hmm. flown under the radar. But uh, th- that's a fantastic head game. Okay. I might have a DVD somewhere that I can. Lend um, but yeah. Uh, but as the as the doctor is saying, like, hey, uh, seriously, you can't keep doing whatever it is you've been doing. Uh, you almost want him to be like, all right, I'm adding some stakes to this. So <laughs> don't you worry. Right. Yeah. All right. Yeah, you you seem to be very good at what you're doing, but here let me let me just attach this obstacle to you. Right, um, it just it feels like that. It's it's a good scene, but it's just one did of the when you can see that you're like, oh, I got it. To keep this will be the theme to keep it with Born. Did you see the Born Legacy? No. Oh, okay, the, the doctor should have given him some chems. That's like the whole the thing with Born Legacy is okay. that the <coughs> what makes him like physically stronger and mentally stronger are these these chems he's got to get his chems and if he doesn't get them he'll start to get like he's rapidly atrophied <laughs> it's not to go all like flowers for algernon i guess it's the idea <laughs> he just he turns back into uh, uh steve rogers from captain america <laughs> all right um moving on and okay there's i'm gonna leave there's some things I want to say about the screening I went to on Monday that okay. I'm going to leave for the main episode. D- is that the press kit I see there? This is not a press kit. This is the program. Oh, okay. I went to Red Cat to see an evening of experimental short films from Los Angeles filmmakers. Um, and again, there are things... I'm, I want to put a pin in some of my opinions on the evening itself and save that for the main episode. Stay tuned. But the films, uh, it was called Transforming Spaces, and I guess it's something that uh, Red Cat does series of experimental shorts uh, a lot that's where i've seen most of the ones i've seen in the theater since i moved here that or film forum or echo park film center i guess i've actually seen them in a lot of places anyway um but this one was uh i guess it's part of a new program that they're going to do like once or this is the first one they're going to do once or twice a year that specifically highlights mm-hmm. um los angeles filmmakers uh and what really st- stood out to me and i i guess i'm already in this headspace partially because of the uh you know um the uh, hashtag a year with women that uh, okay. at old films flicker. Oh, yes, uh, yes. I don't know if her name is Maria or Maria. I've met her more than once. I've met her more than twice. And which, means don't you, know. which means you can't ask her. <laughs> yeah, I can't ask her how yeah. to pronounce her name. Uh, but we'll have her on the show and then you'll ask her. Yeah. Um, now, how do you say that? It's, <laughs> I'll, I'll make a big deal of it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like George walking into Jerry's apartment. Exactly. And hey, I did what I could. I tried. We're, we're hitting a lot of Seinfelds here. Well, uh, I guess that's the same episode. Uh, um, so, uh, yeah, I, I don't, I don't need to talk too much. The, they were, there's nine films and the first four or so I was kind of like, I might've already been in a bad mood. We'll talk about it next episode. Mm. Uh, but I was kind of like, this is, some of this is just the kind of, if you've, if you go to enough, like, experimental type or avant-garde i don't know i I don't i almost feel like it might be like i I don't know the world well enough to know if they like being called experimental films i don't know if it's supposed to be avant-garde or non-narrative non-narrative yeah uh whatever um but there are certain things you see crop up a lot and a couple of these like blurry black and white shots of trees that is a big thing soundtrack crumpling paper on the soundtrack wind chimes on the soundtrack these are big things um and so the first one had a bunch of those um the second one (coughs) on the one hand this film is gonna sound like a parody of what happens when you go to an evening of experimental short films okay that said i kind of liked it all right it's called about 11 minutes it's 10 minutes and 51 seconds okay. of a gray screen and sounds of like hisses and pops all right and that's all it is 
damn and there's kinda, some scratches i, I kind of love it and it was I, it's ridiculous yeah, in many ways <laughs> but the the those sounds were cool it was uh, I, I i actually weirdly enjoyed it that needs one. to be paired with the title that's the key right i right. feel like if it was called anything else <laughs> right. it'd be like this is a waste of my time but when it's like how long is this thing gonna be oh you son of a bitch yeah um the longest one in the program was 20 minutes long it was called utah uh, oh, I, I totally like forgot what I was going to say is just how many of these were directed by women, hmm. um, which I found really refreshing. And they um, a lot of them talked at the at the at the evening. It was it was really cool to see this is so, uh, you know, when you go to the multiplex, you see very few films directed by women. That's been statistically proven in recent mm-hmm. years. But you go to Red Cat on a Monday night to see an evening of avant garde shorts female directors are very well represented so what i'm so what i'm taking this to mean is that women can't handle narrative nor can they handle feature length they just you know whatever they just go from no, their emotions i think they've, for, out, they've flashes in the pan they've outgrown narrative oh okay and they're efficient enough that they uh, can get it done in under 20 minutes in and out absolutely that's, that's how i feel about it all right um i like that we both went extreme opposites yeah um uh, so then, yeah, but then we got into the the back half of the program started getting really good. Um, one was called Port Noir, which is just okay. a bunch of uh, shots of like boats and like an abandoned like boating and fishing and tackle shop with like, but in black and white, so it's oh, kind of noiry. I love that. And it was that was really cool. Uh, one was called H E L L O, um, and it was David. Uh, it's called Hello. No, the it's, title it's, is Hello. It's called, uh, well, it's called H-E-L-L-O. In the program here, you'll see that it's apparently called H-E-L-L-L-O. <laughs> which, I, when I saw, I looked at the program first, and I thought, oh, I guess that's inten- intentional. But no, they just, like, didn't know where to stop. That's... Like, B-Y-O-B-V? Uh, yeah. It's, it's, the extra B is for... Uh, oh, yeah, it's B- Homer's B-B-B-Q. Yeah, what's the, the extra B is for B-Y-O-B-B. What that, what's that B? It's a typo. <laughs> Man, I love that. Uh, and Hello, or H-E-L-L-O, was um, uh, filmed over the last year in various parts of New Orleans, and it's basically just... It's one sort of somewhat melodic but also somewhat atonal song mm-hmm. being played in various locations and so there's very little overlapping of the of the soundtrack you're actually hearing like you're seeing someone play play this section of the song on 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 a tuba and then this section it'll cut to a violin mm-hmm. and then but they're all in different like the waterfront or the french quarter or one was like in a uh uh closed off like school or hospital or something that had, mm-hmm. had been reopened since Katrina this this sort of stuff that was cool uh, I don't need to talk about all of these but um, it, w- it was a cool night the, some, uh, there was one called Woman Night Film which was uh, sort of like a horror film um, that I liked and then the, the last one was called The Hummingbird Wars and it was very playful uh, had a lot of cool imagery but I was kind of ready to leave by that point you know this actually brings up a, a question and I'm not sure this is definitely not a full episode now that I think about it. Um, so, we, you know, you're talking about non-narrative films, and then you described one of them as kind of a horror movie. And I feel like they're all, like, some. I feel like the most an experimental film can be towards any one genre is kind of that. <laughs> I see what you mean. Like, because horror, more so than maybe any other genre of narrative relies on atmosphere and the things that make a horror movie, a horror movie often have very little to do with what the plot is. Right. Well, and, and there are sub genres of horror like slasher and, and you know, home invasion and stuff like that. Yeah. And those have uh, plot tropes. Yeah. But in general, what I'm talking about is just a, a, an a tone. Un- uneasy feeling. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's, I guess the thing that, that I was curious about is, is, Though, you know, any genre, it's got, you know, specific iconography. I mean, you talked early about, earlier about noir, and that has all kinds of, you know, not merely black and white, and not only that, certainly, but, uh, you know, high contrast and shadows and that sort of thing. But the thing that gets me about, like, an experimental horror film, especially a short one, I feel like the most it can do is approximate the tone, 
but you may not know what you're actually scared, uh, what you're fearful well, that, of, because if the minute it gives it a name, yeah, we're in the we're now kind of in the middle of a narrative. Um, yeah, but I, the the I guess the again, it's not a story, but the idea of this film, woman woman night film, was this woman says she takes the same way home uh, from work every day mm-hmm. and parks a car, and when she walks to her apartment, there's an old woman who watches her from an old woman from another apartment who watches her mm-hmm. and watches her every day uh, and is always there. And the way that she's sort of whispering about it and the shots of the, of her route home and the shots, no. of, but you never see the woman in the film. You never, and you never see either woman and you never see the people in the film at all. You just see the shots of the sort of, um, the, the, the ecosystem being described as it were. Yeah. Um, so, but the way it's being described is sort of, is, is creepy. But then it says, uh, and then one day she wasn't there, and you see an em- you see an empty window. And to get back to what you're saying about like not knowing quite what you're scared of, what I liked about the film is I'm not sure what's which part am I more scared at the idea yeah. this woman watching her or this woman suddenly disappearing with no explanation and never being there again. Yeah, they're both pretty scary. I'm not sure which one's worse. Yeah, that's kind of that sounds kind of great. It reminds me of. Uh the Tom Waits spoken word piece, what's he building in there? Uh, <laughs> right. Which I'm a big fan of. Which my wife and I quote to one another. Constantly. Oh, of course. Of course. Um, <laughs> All right. Uh, he has no friends, but he gets a lot of mail. <laughs> I, I love that <laughs> phrase. That, uh, okay. Uh, next for me is going clear. Scientil- oh, Scientology and the prison of belief. Uh, if you head on over to more than one lesson, you will get an entire episode about it. Um, yeah. Which, you know what? I'll be honest. I was reluctant to do. Because in doing some research, I discovered every film critic that reviewed this documentary uh-huh. got an email from the Church of Scientology really? saying, hey, you know, this film is really one-sided, so I think maybe you should, uh, here's a, you know, here's some people that right. you could you could interview Shoot. Uh, right. to, to kind of balance it out. And then the critics invariably would say, like, that's not how reviews work. Um, yeah. But yeah, and so I had this All thought. Right, I got to like, watch this and review it. Just so I can get the email. Let's do it. Yeah. But, and that's the thing is obviously more than one lesson is, you know, small potatoes, but at the same time, like the church of Scientology is nothing if not thorough yeah. when it comes to managing its uh, image. But, um, yeah, uh, the film is fine. Um, I don't think I really respond to the way Alex Gibney makes movies. Um, I think I really do actually, because there's a, there's a, uh, there's a clip at which he edits and paces his movies that I find uh, really absorbing. And uh, that I agree grossing. with completely. Um, he, he his movies are incredibly watchable. Mm-hmm. I mean, I saw Enron, the smartest guys in the room. I that saw We I Steal seen, Secrets. I've seen We Steal Secrets. And, you know, Enron is f- full of stuff that I have no clue about. But I felt like I was able to, like, he does make things digestible. I don't even mean to say that he dumbs them down, but he makes them pretty... Pretty, pretty easy to understand as much as possible. And so, um, so I think I do like that, but I, with this, I think there's, um, there's a glibness to it that I think gets me a little bit. Um, huh. and while I'm, you know, what I've heard of Scientology, I'm not necessarily, uh, I wouldn't say I'm a fan of it, um, as an organization, um, I actually know a couple of, uh, Scientologists and they're super nice people and, um, and so I, but as an organization, Wait, it sounds pretty is monstrous. It, is it Beck and Marissa Rubisi? Yeah. You know them? Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize. Yeah. We hang out all the time. <laughs> um, you know, it, cause when you, to have fun, you really only need three things, <laughs> two turntables and a microphone. <laughs> That's where it's at, David. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's, uh, very dumb. yeah, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Um, but yeah, the film, I feel like, don't get me wrong. Like, I don't think the film should necessarily be balanced, but it's told so much from the perspective of people that were in the church and now are not. Now, of course they're in a rare position to have an insider's perspective, but be critical of it. But one could make the argument and I don't necessarily think I agree with it, but they're like, they have an ax to grind. Now, every once in a while, he he interviews like reporters and the guy who wrote the book, right. and that I find refreshing. But didn't, because did, I didn't, I want somebody kind of on the outside. Didn't a the bit. Scientologists? Oh, I think I say I think I thought you were saying you wanted people on the inside who like are 
still on board. I would like, but I don't. I think would they like allowed that. them to be. Well, again, I did. I did some research, and apparently, uh, the Church of Scientology said, "Like, here are some people that we uh, that we would be okay with you interviewing." And apparently, these these people are known to basically their whole role in the Church of Scientology is to undercut and smear the other people that will be in the film. Okay, and so and Alex Gibney perhaps rightfully said, "I'm not interested in that." Um, if you want to talk about just the views and like what the church has done fine but the church but science uh, the the leadership was not interested in that and so so i i don't know how much to expect from him um i do think you know it'd be interesting to talk to some of the irs agents some of the fbi people that like went after it i don't know it's just i feel like there's a there's an opportunity here to make it bigger than just a few key people's experience even though that's what's going to keep us connected and, and invested um, and to understand the kind of damage that it does on a personal basis. Um, so I think I'm kind of torn by it. I, I feel like his tone is a little, uh, a little snarky and I think you can be condemning without being snarky, but I think maybe that's, that's a thing that he is able to do a thing that he does in order to make something, to make a film as watchable as it is. Um, I think, it's very easy to watch the movie and think like, Oh, well I'm so much, you know, I mean, we would never believe anything like this. And so, um, and so one of the things that when we talked about on more than one lesson, I paired it with the original wicker man. Uh. Um, because I feel like if you believe, you know, anything, um, philosophical or spiritual, I feel like you should watch something like, uh, going clear and you should look inward and say, okay, well, what do I, what do I believe and why, and how does this come across to other people and that sort of thing. So it, it wound up being a really interesting experience for me to watch it, but as a film, I think it's fine hmm. and not, not I much can't, more I can't that. wait to watch it. I, yeah. I'd be, I'd be interested to know your thoughts cause I, cause it sounds like you like Alex Gibney more than I do. Yeah, I do. I, I mean, there's some big one. I haven't seen Enron and I haven't seen client nine, He's made a million movies. I know. Problem. And I think, didn't I've he, seen, Taxi the Dark Side, I didn't see that. I think that he won an Oscar for that, I right? I, I don't remember. Okay. Uh, that was the first one as I saw. Yeah, that. And, um, yeah, We Still Secrets. And um, the uh, Gonzo, the Hunter S. Thompson one, I yeah, saw that. that I saw that. That one's okay. Uh, have you seen the James Brown one, Mr. Dynamite? No, I That's heard it was really good. good. That's really good. Uh, all right. Moving on. Um, I saw a new movie that comes out uh, next week. Uh, Are you allowed to talk about it? Yes, I am. All right. uh, I made sure. Uh, it's already, already played South by Southwest. It's yeah. Uh, opinions are out there. Uh, it's the directorial debut of one Alex Garland. It's called Ex Machina. Um, oh, yes. It, okay. Yeah. Uh, Alex Garland was a, a novelist. And then he wrote 28 Days Later. That's right. what I yeah. He wrote, well, he wrote um, the novel The Beach that yeah. The Beach is based on. Mm. Uh, and then, yeah, he wrote 28 Days Later. He's wrote, written. <laughs> he's wrote some other stuff. <laughs> Um, and this is his directorial uh, debut, um, and it is, I would say, very promising, uh, a very mm. promising first film. I think it's clearly it's a science fiction film. It's about artificial intelligence. I don't know if you know what the story of the film is. I don't. The basic story is that um, uh, our lead is Donald Gleason. Mm-hmm. He's a coder at a at a like a programmer at a Google type company in this world. Uh, I, I'm guessing Google doesn't exist, and this thing called Blue Book is like okay, the, it, you know, is the Google, mm-hmm. and the, and he works for Google or works for Blue Book, sorry, and he gets selected seemingly at random, maybe not, uh, to go spend a week at the remote <clears throat> private estate slash research laboratory of the genius behind the company, played mm-hmm. by Oscar Isaac. Um. And when he gets there, it's to sign some non-disclosure agreements, and it turns out he's there to um, be one of the first people to meet with and interact with a completely artificially intelligent robot, mm-hmm. played by Alicia Vikander, who is in uh, Anna Karenina. Okay. Um, and that, so that's that's the premise. I don't want to go any more okay. into it because there are. Um, it's a very, uh, it's a very mysterious. Like for, even from the beginning, before you even know what the mystery is it has a very mysterious air to mm. it so i don't want to give away too many things but it does become like a, a an actual mystery where you're trying to figure out what's really going on um 
but it it, it has uh, a fantastic sense of place and and tone um and it uh i i still haven't written my review so i feel like by saying this i'm kind of like oh i'm kind of outlining my review for myself right now yeah <coughs> but i guess uh from a formalist perspective right um if the, the movie is about the, the 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 sort of friction between humanity and like which is messy mm-hmm. and uh the more controlled or technological or organized part of the world and furthermore the parts of our brain that we would like to think of as being more of the latter you know um i mean there's there's questions in the movie where he's trying to figure out is she really in artificially intelligent or is she pretending to be do you know what i mean like does she hmm. know enough to pretend to give the right answers oh yeah to okay. make herself seem more intelligent but then the movie sort of without hanging a lantern on it sort of turns around when she asks uh when she asks questions of him you sort of realize i guess we sort of do that ourselves like people ask us questions about ourselves and we have stock answers or things that we answer in a way that we want people to think of us or we want to think of ourselves oh yeah and so we're like sort of both so both in our minds and in the world of the film you're trying to put like the 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 building itself has these very very sharp edges and clean lines and everything's very clean and geometric, but you're like, uh, it's contained all, all of the stuff that's contained in it is, is messy and unpredictable and very human. Um, and, uh, there's, there's a sequence of, you know, Oscar Isaac plays, he's like a, he's like a, I mean, it would be reductive to say he's like a Mark Zuckerberg because he's mm-hmm. also incredibly physically fit, which Mark Zuckerberg usually isn't, no. but in the sense that he's like, uh, like laid back slacker, like dude, who's also a freaking genius. Yeah. Um, is a big part of his character, but he's also an alcoholic. Um, and he drinks constantly. And there's a part in the movie where it's the middle of the night. He lives by his own clock. He doesn't have to mm-hmm. be, well, you know, live, you know, you know, nine to five at all. So it's just the middle of the night and he's drinking and he sort of forces his maid to dance with him in a way that you, think okay clearly this happens a lot and she's used to it uh and it's like an incredibly joyous sequence of like drunken dancing in the middle of the night but it's also really like has a lot of creepy undertones to it that's uh, that scene even though it has nothing to do with the plot is the highlight of the movie for me um i I, yeah i really really liked it um i think as far as if if i were an actual like sci-fi aficionado i could probably point out the uh you know 10 other movies that have done sure. covered some of the same ground in terms of the science fiction. But in terms of psychology, I feel like it's a, it's a, it's its own distinct, distinct thing. Um, there are, if I were, we've talked before about movies like, you know, when I get pissed off, uh, in Prometheus that when she's running away from the thing, she doesn't just right. run to the right or left yeah. to get away from, she runs in the path of the thing that's going to crush her. Um, that's nitpicking. And I only do that because I don't like the movie already. Right. There's nothing. Yeah. A good movie will distract you often in the broad strokes from the smaller things. Yeah. And so there are some things at the end of Ex Machina that if I think about it, I'm like, I'm not sure that makes sense. Mm. Like how that, how that came to be. (laughs) But I don't care that much because mm-hmm. I, I really liked the movie uh more, more even than i expected to and the the visual effects are fantastic too you know it's it's so interesting uh for me to it ha- like every five every probably five six seven years um <clears throat> you get kind of this a rollover of new talent okay and so it's and like oscar isaac is certainly an up-and-comer he i don't know if people know his name yet I, film people do sure yeah and then Donald gleason is becoming a very unlikely leading man and it's just odd the way that this and i believe both of them are in the new star wars movie yeah um and so it's just interesting how i often wonder it's like man man their agents are getting the job done <laughs> uh just the way just people that have been you know oscar isaac's been bouncing around for several years now mm-hmm. but in the last year or two He's really come into a sharp focus. What did he? There was drive. There was then, drive. There he was, was a big one after that. Um, well, I mean, I, 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 I saw him in uh, in 2010 in Robin Hood. He played Prince John. Um, 
and then he was in Sucker Punch uh, as the yeah. villain in that. I guess what I'm thinking. I guess I'm just thinking of Inside Lewin Davis is when I knew. Okay. Because I don't think I knew his name after Drive, or I had forgotten it. Yeah. I think yeah. The part when I was like, I can look at that person and say that's Oscar Isaac, but yeah. I'm always bad at that. Yeah. It always takes me longer, I think, than it takes you. I think you're better with character actors. Yeah. Well, especially if they do, if they give a really notable performance, and it's like, all right, I got to take note of that guy. Oh and, no! You know what it was? Okay. A movie that no one saw that I almost feel embarrassed for how much I like because it seems kind of corny, but I really want more people to see it called Ten Years. It's about a 10-year high school reunion. Oh, that's right. You told me about that. Yeah. L- listen to this cast of 10 years. Channing Tatum, Jenna Dewan Tatum, Justin Long, Max Minghella, Oscar Isaac, Chris Pratt, Ari Grainer, uh, Scott Porter, Brian Garrity, Aubrey Plaza, Kate Mara. This is a great cast. Yeah. Anthony Mackie, Rosario Dawson, Ron Livingston. And what's more I is know, like... I, don't, I just don't know how this movie came and went. It's so like... It's a very well made movie because very few of those people were people yet. I mean, can you imagine? It's like, hey, uh, Oscar Isaac, Chris Pratt, Aubrey Plaza. Yeah, they're all in a movie together Channing with Tatum. Channing Tatum. Yeah. You know, like that's that's crazy. So it's it's always I don't know. It's fun for me to to see it as it's happening now that you know, yeah. you know what it looks like. So anyway, yeah, um, I, I, yeah. Uh, if we were a thumbs up, thumbs down type of show, thumbs up for Ex Machina. All right, absolutely. If um, we were a letter grade type of show, B plus. All right. What about stars out of four? I'm not good at that. Okay. I'm not good at that. I like letter grades better. Fair enough. I think I like star. For some reason, stars seems more classy to me. I don't know why. Do you do half stars? I do. So that gives you, okay, you've got half, one, one, two, three, and four. You've got eight choices. Yeah. Right? With my letter grades, I've got A. I don't do A plus unless I'm being like trying to be effusive to make a point. Yeah, yeah. But I don't really do A+. Plus. <coughs> I've got A and minus, and I've got three for B, three yeah. for C, mm-hmm. three for D. So I've got like 20 there. But you know what? What I, when I found is that, uh, what I found is that in a situation where you've got that many options, because I've done letter grades before, and uh-huh. I've said, eh, it's kind of a C minus D plus, and people are like, what's the difference? Like uh, when they're C- when they're that close... Uh, but if I say it's, you know, uh, it's like not quite a three and a half star movie, but it's a three star movie and people seem to know what you think. They, they know what you mean. What I'm saying is if there's like a plot from zero to 100, that let's say there is like a finite amount of bad or good that a movie can Mm -hmm. be. Every movie ever has to fall between zero and a hundred. All right. Right. Yeah. Um, what's what's a hundred by the way for you? Well, if we're getting more inside my my critical process each movie actually has its own rubric for what zero to 100 is watch out so um you know uh like Patton and john wick are very different movies but they're both really really good they're both way closer to 100 yes <laughs> you know big but by, yeah. the, by their own standard yeah what is that. this film trying to accomplish right, and right, how well does it yeah so what I'm lawrence of arabia is not trying to accomplish the same thing as scary movie um, what I'm saying is if there's, uh, you know, uh, a hundred points on mm-hmm. a spectrum that a movie can be, if you're only giving yourself eight, each one of those has to take up more real estate yeah. and therefore becomes more vague. Whereas if I give myself 20 different points on that spectrum, I can be more specific in action figure terms. You're giving yourself more points of articulation, I guess so, so that you can, so that you can have, uh, this toy, uh, strike more, uh, more specific pose. Yeah, that's right. All right, fair All right, enough. What's next for you? Next for me is speaking. Of, we just talked about Patton and Lawrence of Arabia. I'm going to talk about another best we picture. We did not talk about Lawrence of Arabia. I just said it. Oh, damn it, David! <laughs> you got to start listening to me. I know it's been over eight years, and I know that I, ten, I I've got like five things I ever say, and I just try to find a different way of saying them. All right, I don't remember you saying Lawrence. Of I said it's. Yeah. You know what? I could tell as I was saying it, you had moved on in your in your head. Um, but That's anyway. my job is to keep the show moving, right? That's one argument, yes. <laughs> okay. One could also say that when there are two of us, <laughs> our job is to listen to the other person as well as talk. Okay. That's true. I'm sorry. That's I'm, all right. I'm an asshole. Um, so I saw Sidney Pollock's Out of Africa. How the, was that? The Best Picture winner of 1985. You know, you go into these things with an expectation that like, all right, it was a Best Picture winner in the 80s. By and large, that's not a great thing. 
Um, huh, is that tr- okay? Can you run down 80 to 89 for me? Okay, ordinary people, not, Ter- not raging bull, not raging bull, not the elephant man, right? No, <laughs> okay, ordinary people, chariots of fire. I haven't seen that one, okay. neither have I actually. Okay, Gandhi, not very good. Terms of Endearment, good movie. I like that one a lot. It's been a while, and I think it's good, yeah. Um, Amadeus, good. I love, I love that one. Out of Africa. I haven't seen it. Uh, Platoon. It's a good, good one. Last Emperor. That's a good one. Rain Man. Not a very good movie. Driving Miss Daisy. Never saw it. All right. Um, yeah, so that's, I feel like, I didn't count, but I feel like it was about 50-50. Yeah, it's, a, it's about that. And you know, and that's the thing is, uh, so I saw it because Josh and I go through the, the we're going through the best picture winners, uh, more than one lesson. And, um, and the thing that you come to realize is that, like, you have an idea, of, like, oh, because we don't talk about uh, Out of Africa anymore, it must not be one of the good ones. It's like, right. it's a big sweeping romance with Robert Redford and Meryl Streep. It's probably shit. That just uh-huh. uh, pushed all the right buttons, and and they're in here. Here's an Oscar. Um, it's pretty good. Okay. It's not great, but it's pretty good. It's gorgeous, uh, as one would assume. The photography is beautiful. Uh, Meryl Streep. Uh, I recognize I'm not the first person to say this. I might be the third. <laughs> okay. Uh, she's pretty good. She's an okay actress. You know, I wish I'd said it before you. Oh, I actually always you felt be, that way. You can, yeah. <laughs> you got to verbalize your thoughts, David. <laughs> um, and so, uh, and it's it's this really nice, and, and I read some of the criticism. People said it moves really slowly. It didn't for me. It, by focusing in on her character and her experience of the, of, these new circumstances and she's a woman who she marries somebody that she doesn't love and doesn't love her just a friend basically because uh it's it's uh, a money and status thing and then uh they go to africa where they're going to start a coffee plantation and then he decides "Uh, i'd rather be a hunter but they still have this plantation which she basically starts to run Mm -hmm. on her own while dealing with the, you know, the natives and that sort of thing. And then she runs across Robert Redford as this big game hunter. And the two of them start. And Val Kilmer and uh, Michael Douglas. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. The ghosts in the darkness are getting out of Africa. <laughs> Which one, was Val Kilmer the ghost or the darkness? Those are the names of the lions, David. I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. I, I'm pretty sure. I rather think they're not, uh, <laughs> to sound all uh, PFT about it. Um, okay, so Out of Africa is running the plantation now, right? Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then uh, and then she meets up with the sting, and uh, <laughs> all the president's men shows up. And, uh, and so, uh, and I will say, that, and, and the romance unfolds in a very organic way. I went into this movie expecting The English Patient. It's way better than that. So okay. much of what the characters do in The English Patient feels forced. Mm-hmm. Like they know, oh, I guess we better move the story along. This, it feels lived in, organic. Um, the one issue I have is that, like, uh, Robert Redford does not really fit. Like, he, like he's, a, he's, a, he's a movie star. Like, he's a good-looking guy. He's a, and that's fine, but when you put him in, like, Oh, here's here he is in in like you know the the clothes of a big game hunter with a big rifle slung over his shoulder, and he looks very much like a movie star who got the film made. Um, mm-hmm. Meryl Streep really sinks into her role, and you believe her all uh, you know uh, the whole way. Whereas I buy the emotions that he is selling, and the two of them together do all right. But he just doesn't sell that. He doesn't help sell the reality of the film. I'll say that. Um, and so, but he's not necessarily bad, and it doesn't really detract from the movie overall. So it's a movie I actually thought was was pretty good. And uh, I'm not sure if I'd say like I highly recommend it. But if you know, it certainly is not a movie to to stay away from. It's not like you know, it's not. Uh, well, it's not the English Patient. I'll say that. Um, all right. Speaking of highly recommending movies. I rewatched one of the classics that I hadn't seen in a long time. Okay. And I would highly recommend this movie to anyone who wants to make films because 12 Angry Men mm-hmm. is 12 a Angry film, Men. 12 Angry Men is a film that takes place almost, almost entirely in one room. Yeah. And it consists almost entirely of dialogue uh, and is so compelling and so dynamic within that that, you know, I mean, even. 
even I, I you know, I'm I was born in the 1980s. Movies. What what year is Twelve Angry Men? Fifty-seven. Fifty-seven. Okay. Um, movies from that era do often run seem a little slower to me because just right. of how I was raised. And so uh, a black and white movie from nineteen fifty-seven flies by when you watch Twelve Angry Men. It's, oh yeah, it's unbelievable how how quickly I it felt like I watched this. Um, so just from that point of view, just the way that it the way that it uses. Uh, I I I mean I have to. You probably know more about the making of the film than I do. Yeah, I know a lot about it. Um, to what extent was it storyboarded? Because it feels like it could be completely like comic booked out. Because yeah. it so depends on like wide it's, shot, then pushing, yeah. and then without even realizing you're getting closer, getting closer to a person, then pushing out and getting back in. Uh, that I don't know how specifically it was storyboarded. I would have to assume quite a bit, but I do know that from a visual standpoint, Sidney Lumet had made a decision which is he's going to split the film up into three sections. Mm-hmm. The first section, the camera is going to be a little bit further away and it's going to be tilted slightly downward. Uh-huh. And then second section, it's going to be about eye level, uh, not up or down. And it's going to be a little bit closer. Third section, the camera will be below the characters staring up and closer than it's ever been before. Yeah. And, and the idea is that when you first walk in, because so many of these characters are archetypes, uh-huh. when you first walk in, you feel like I'm above them. I know who they are. I get it. Right. And I can speak objectively about this. Then you start to see yourself on their level. And then by the end, you're like, these guys are so much more complicated than I thought they were. I'm completely yeah. wrong. They're, they're like, gigantic in their motivations in their specificity and so he wanted it to represent our relationship to the characters and that's um, so it's clearly well thought out and speaking of relationships to the characters uh and let's go back to what i said about do the right thing last week i found i found myself identifying differently than you know now that i've changed basically what i mean is when i watched this movie the first time when i was like 17 or so um i was right there with Henry Fonda. He yeah. was the lead of the movie for me. He is still, I guess, the lead of the movie, and that's that's who I was with. And the character played by E.G. Marshall seemed like a, uh, you know, not one of the more minor, not not like the insurance guy or the uh, right. not the, the ad guy. I, yeah. I mean, um, who's a pretty minor character, but he seemed below the midpoint in terms of importance to me at the time. When I watched it this time, I was so right there with E.G. Marshall the whole time because he's. The guy who feels very confident that the guy is guilty, but it's not based on, yeah, on on emotion. You know, you've got Lee J. Cobb obviously working through some shit with his, with, with his, um, uh, with his with his own son, and you've got uh, I, I forget who the other guy is, Ed Begley, <coughs> right? Who clearly has some some prejudices against people from certain parts of town. Yeah, uh, E. G. Marshall isn't like that, and so he's. I, I find myself identifying with him because I feel like it's easy to identify with Henry Fonda from the get-go. Yeah. And it's still, wor- you know, the, the first time you watch the movie, you probably will because he's the protagonist. That's why movies are fun to watch over mm-hmm. and over again. Um, it's more interesting to identify with E.G. Marshall and actually allow yourself to be convinced. Yeah. You know what I mean? Not just assume Henry Fonda's right, this guy isn't guilty. Yeah. And that's the other thing about the movie that I never really thought about before is that it does not make a case that the guy's innocent. No, it just makes a case that there's reasonable doubt and that's all yeah. it has to do. And that's, I found that I, I got sort of patriotic about that. Well, when you think about it, <coughs> Henry Fonda and E.G. Marshall, those are the two people that you want to believe. Like those are the ideal jurors, like a guy who says, all right, I'm not willing to just immediately, like I'm going to question the evidence and so I'm going to start with not guilty, even if all the evidence mounts up. And and so that's Henry Fonda. And you need somebody like that. But mm-hmm. then you also need somebody who, as things fall away, says, look, I understand all you're saying. Somebody saw him do it. Right. And in, yeah. in the end, that's what it has to come down to. And then allow himself to be convinced. Yeah. And if they were not able to take that out, then they would have had uh, a mistrial. Right. Because that is what he needed. Yeah. You know, and when it comes right down to it, a person visually seeing him do it. Yeah. That's it. And so, um, yeah, I remember when I when I first saw it, I, I liked him a lot. But for different reasons than I like him now. Um, 
and uh, partially, part, part I think, of me likes him now because he's the only guy who never takes his jacket off. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> he never sweats. Yeah, oh, except that one time. Yeah, um, right. <laughs> yeah, it's a yeah, that's a wonderful film, and that I think that might have, aside from the great Muppet Caper, I think that started my love affair with Jack Warden. I'm a big fan of his. Um, good for you. I'm very glad you enjoyed it. Uh, well, this wasn't the first time I'd seen it. Yeah, uh, that's it for movies for me. Do you yeah. have anything more? No. Okay, let me uh, let me hit over, uh, go over to the TV realm here. I got separate lists. Oh my! So uh, sometimes it takes me a second. Okay, we talked about the Last Man on Earth last week, right? Yeah, and I'm still it, right. it's it's the show I watch uh, when I go to the gym. But I've been sick lately, so I haven't been going to the gym. It's just getting worse. I, oh, so frustrating! I'm, so, I'm really disappointed with it, but. You know what'll you know uh, what what what'll cure what ails you if you if you're if you're upset that this promising and unusual and individual unique sitcom Last Man on Earth didn't turn out well. Mm-hmm. Drive yourself on over to Netflix, okay, and do what I did, which is watch all of Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt in three okay. days. Holy shit! This is the show that I want. This okay. it's. It's so crazy good, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. It, it hits so many of my personal, uh, uh, just what's the word I'm looking for? Pleasure points, I guess. Because yeah. it's, I mean, it's crazy. It, like, it's incredibly absurd. Um, and, and everyone takes the world seriously. Mm-hmm. Not, I mean, people are all goofy, but no one, there's not a lot of people being like, what? That's crazy. It's just like everything's crazy. Yeah. That's the way it is in this world. Um, and it's also, uh, it has real character work and character development. Um, it's uh, a show that not only features a lot of women, but is very much about women. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, the thing that I love about it is that, okay, Kimmy Schmidt, do you know the story? She's yes. kidnapped when she's 14, freed when she's 29. So she's essentially a 14-year-old. It's a resident development um, not the show, the actual, yeah, it's like, a different thing. <laughs> the, you know, She's living in community. The actual concept of arrested development. Um, anyway, uh, so she's a kid, essentially. She wears very bright clothes. The color scheme is very bright. Um, every episode title ends with an exclamation point. I don't know if you have looked at the ex- episode I, I, title, I have not. but they're all like, Kimmy gets a job. Kimmy goes on a date. <laughs> uh, that's what every ex- <laughs> like episode title is. So that's all a part of its it's aesthetic but it's also really dark because mm-hmm. it's about a girl who was kidnapped when she's 14 yeah and held for 15 years and the show while still remaining a goofy sitcom um implies heavily was probably forcibly raped multiple times over the <laughs> i was 15 gonna years. ask about that yeah um uh and it it the the fact that a white walks that tight tightrope you know um it's in in the pilot like uh, her new roommate says, Kimmy, I have to ask you something. She's like, oh, yes, there was weird sex stuff in the bunker. <laughs> um, and that's like, that's the kind of joke where you go, like you did, you go, <laughs> and then you immediately go, ooh. <laughs> uh, and I, I, I love that. And then there's when she, <laughs> um, she tries to have sex with her boyfriend and she like realizes like a lot of the things I think I know aren't real because she essentially like puts him in a headlock and he passes out <laughs> when she tries to have sex with him which is like again that's really dark yeah. right uh there's so much fantastic stuff there's so many great um uh guest turns I mean the cast the main cast is uh, uh Ellie Kemper and Titus Burgess who um you might know from 30 Rock um as he was he was on Tracy's wife's yeah, yeah. Bravo show. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I, I can picture him, but I don't like remember. Like Daquan or something like something that. Something like that. Uh, so they're like the main cast, but then Jane Krakowski is the woman that uh, Kimmy works for. Uh, Carol Kane is their landlady, hmm. uh, and then you've got um, a lot of guest star turns. Uh, I heard. John uh, Hamm. I heard Martin Short is a lot of Martin fun. Short is in one episode. Um, who else? Dean Norris is in one episode. Uh, Nick Kroll, um, and then eventually, of course. Tina Fey, who of is course. the creator of the show, does a three episode. She and Jerry Minor show up as characters, and I won't spoil who they are. Okay, um, but they show up at the uh, in the last three episodes. Uh, it, it's I, I'll say this about the last three episodes: I kind of feel like it went a pl- that I, I have to respect the 
the artists, you know, um, Tina Fey and Robert Carlock, I think are the, I think that's his name, mm-hmm. um, the creators. I had to respect where they went. I think there are certain things that I found for a few episodes. I found myself asking questions about, like, uh, how does she just move to New York? Like, what's going on with her family back in Indiana? What's going on with the guy who kidnapped her and mm-hmm. his trial or anything like that? And I had those care. And then it was almost a bit of like, be careful what you wish for, because that becomes such a big part of the last three episodes. Then I kind of feel like uh, the show, while being true to its characters, kind of changed its, its identity for the last three episodes, if you know what I mean, mm-hmm. by leaving New York, going back to Indiana. And uh, it just seems like a weird place to have. I don't know. I kept mentally comparing it to the end of uh, Angel Season 2, but that doesn't mean anything to you. Um, but it's uh, Angel Season 2 is something that I really like, <laughs> and I really like, I think, in long term, the way it ends, which is them going to a different dimension for three episodes, was good for the show. But it also just always felt weird that the show that's about a Los Angeles detective that's a, essentially a detective noir with supernatural elements yeah. suddenly becomes Stargate for three episodes. Hmm. Um and that's so I, I'm kind of similarly on the fence about the last few episodes of Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. But the comedy is there the whole way. I didn't even mention Tim Blake Nelson and Kiernan Shipka. Uh, did I mention I saw Kiernan Shipka uh, last weekend? Uh, yes. Oh, I think I mentioned it on Hey, Watch This. I don't think I. Maybe that maybe that it wouldn't it. have happened yet last time. I was okay, here. yes. Okay. Yeah. Maybe saw Kiernan Shipka. That's a, I, I don't get too excited about celebrity sightings, but Kiernan Shipka, that's a big one. She's hip, right? Yep. I can't immediately place her. What? You've seen Mad Men? She's oh, yes, yes. Okay. The, yeah. uh, what, Sally? Yeah, yeah. Right? Okay. Yeah. That's right. Because I looked, because I, because I, I think you tweeted it as well, and I think I actually looked her oh, up, and right. I was like, oh, Sally. Yeah. And I've forgotten yeah. already. So that was cool. Okay. All right. Uh, that's all I watched, right? Uh, I have been keeping up with Community oh, uh, on Yahoo. Uh, there are four Which episodes in. doing the netflix all the episodes at once it is not and you know what i kind of appreciate it i kind of like i kind of felt with kimmy schmidt there's a part of me that was like yes i can watch four episodes tonight yeah but a part of me was like i don't like i wish i had more time to process this yeah but if i took 13 weeks to watch kimmy schmidt the world would have passed me by you know what i mean yeah (laughs) to some extent like everything would have been said about it I guess there's that. Uh, I also admittedly am awake when it posts at three in the morning. Okay. So I'm, I see it. I'm probably among the first people to see it. 3 a.m. Los Angeles time. Right. Um, and, uh, and yeah, they've, they've been doing some very good things. Uh, and as far as character development and, um, Especially with, I think they recognize like, well, a lot of our characters are gone now, so now we have to drop back to like Jim Rash's character and Ken Jung's character, and uh, you know, develop them a little bit. And I think they do. I think the the dean has a really good arc in the most recent one, where you find out more about him than you ever thought you would, and it's very exciting. So. Um, did she? <laughs> okay. Yeah, we I came close saw, to losing this whole episode, by the way. Yeah, I just saw a little switcheroo <laughs> as far as plugging in things, and I realized what happened. Oh, well, I um, had one thing plugged into the computer, and I had something else plugged into the wall. It just yeah. turned out those weren't yeah. two ends of the same thing. It turns out when you tie those cords together, they don't actually <laughs> connect. The power. Um, but yeah, I've, I've actually really been impressed with what they've been doing in the community, and I went in very skeptical uh, about this season because I thought, what, what can they do? It's just they're going to have to get really outlandish, and at times they are, but I've really been impressed with, uh, with what they've been doing, and so I'm, I'm optimistic about the future. Um, and then I did watch Survivor this season. It was the Merge episode. Uh, or th- this week, I, oh, okay. it was the the merge episode. I was and, say it's not over yet. And right. it was uh, boy, oh boy, one of the best merge episodes I've seen in a very long time. Uh, now, is that a thing every season now? That where they, yes, they have to merge the tribes. Yeah, yeah. But this time there were three tribes that need to be merged. There so were three tribes, which then turned into two tribes, which then turned into one. All in one episode? No. Okay. They went from three to two. I think two episodes ago. When they went from 3 to 2, did they just take one tribe and split them up, or did they remix everybody? Remixed everybody. Okay. Which which often winds up in a very strange place where, like, 
what happened this time was one tribe had basically all of the young strong men and the other tribe had all of the uh like older people who would never be good at a challenge and stuff mm. like that and it's just the it's the way it worked out um and so uh this season is actually shaping up to be uh really good and and i like it quite a bit okay so uh and i think that is i think that's it for me okay that's it for me too uh bye bye